0: So, we're back in Philippians after the break of last week when we looked at the cross in the Old Testament. We'll do that at communion services. I want to start with this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer The more genuine and the deeper our community becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ and his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. We have one another only through Christ, but through Christ we do have one another, holy for all eternity. It beautifully sums up what we are, a family, that we have each other all eternity, that we're working together, serving together. Charlie read for us, thank you. Charlie... Emma prayed, Pippa shared, and musicians of song. We're conducting ourselves like a family. And as as Bonhoeffer says here, we are an eternal family. This family counts. It's going to count all the way to eternity. And that's why Paul is laboring this, this, this teaching about church unity, being unified and working together. He's been doing that throughout the chapter. As we turn the corner, if we, if we're on the back nine, if this is golf, okay? Except the back nine is a lot much shorter. We're only going to have a couple of sermons in these last few verses of chapter 2. As he turns the corner, uh, he, he doesn't leave behind the theme of church unity. And it's really important as we're listening to the sermon this morning, we've got in the back of our minds, Paul has been teaching about church unity because he hasn't finished. And we'll see that together. So uh, one and only point is this. Salvation, salvation is a complex matrix of grace and works. Theology is the most complex discipline in in the universe because it's to do with the most complex being in the universe. And so it is complex. And it's beyond the grasp of any one individual or any one generation. But as a group, we're going to try and... Look at these two verses. We're just doing two verses, mainly verse 13, but we'll just add verse 12 as an introduction to 13. So salvation is a complex matrix of grace and works. Verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good Purpose, it's pregnant. Isn't it? It's loaded. There, there's a lot here, a lot, and we'll, we've got half an hour roughly. We'll see how, to, how we do in these two verses. Firstly, there's a conjunctive there, and it's really important conjunctive because the therefore we've said this is what's going to link whatever Paul is saying now to whatever he's just said. See, so if we miss the theme of church unity, we'll misunderstand what he's about to say. It's very crucial conjunctive there, it's connected to church unity. It continues, my dear friends. He's gonna ask them to do something. He's calling them to obedience. And I want you to notice something that Bible college can't really teach you. Okay? Paul is a pastor, he is an overseeing pastor uh, to this congregation. And he's he's going to ask them. He's going to instruct them. He's going to he wants obedience. And notice how he comes in. What do you notice? How does he come in? My dear friends. Yeah. You see that, my dear friends. Notice how pastoral he is. Gentle, winsome. He, is, he, he It's loving and it's careful in how it's worded, in how he asks, and it's something. Hey, hey, forgive me when I'm not pastoral. When when I'm trying to call you to obedience in Jesus and it's less than pastoral, I'm sorry. Because it's meant to be. This is an example to pastors, to every one of us who are engaged in others, that when we're calling people to obedience in Jesus, it's always to be this loving, winsome Look how he talks to them, my dear friends. And he continues as he goes on. Look, uh, before he puts the charge to them, he, he reflects back on how faithful they have been. Look, listen to this. As you have always obeyed. You know, this isn't, look, you bunch of... Rascals! I remember, in my first church, my first pastor, he got he got himself into a lot of trouble for this. He used to call the congregation "rap bags." You rap bags! He did it in jest, but it didn't go down well. <laughs> really, <Yeah. laughs> seriously. Okay, look look at Paul. Uh, dear friends, and then he reminds them, look, as you've always obeyed. This isn't a kick up the backside. This is encouragement. Look, as you've always obeyed, as you've always done well. Not only when I'm watching you. when i've not been watching you you, you've done well and so he reminds them how faithful that they have been when they've been in public view and faithful when they haven't been in public view look here's a couple of examples um chapter one uh, i always pray with joy for you because of your partnership in the gospel visibly visibly obeying the command of jesus and engaging in gospel work. And in privately too, Philippians 4.15. Look, in those early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you. So publicly engaging in gospel work, privately fueling financially gospel work. Here's a church, whether in public or in private, it's serving Jesus Christ. And so Paul reminds them, before he asks them anything new, he reminds them pastorally, look, you're doing so well. Bless you. You're an amazing congregation. And I hope you're hearing me say that as I'm speaking about Philippi here and Paul. And so now he comes onto the heart of what he wants to ask of them. And here it is. And this is where he gets a little more complex. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So, straight away, let's continue. So they're doing well. Okay? They're doing okay, but there needs to be a push. They've done okay thus far, but now there needs to be a push. Paul is having to ask them for extra effort, if you like. Here's what to they do there to continue. And here's what he wants them to do. To work out, work out your salvation. Not to be confused with, with a workout. okay? To be avoided, if possible. okay? Uh, but to work out. Look, here's the, I want to show you what the Greek word is here, because it's really important. Uh, here's a Greek word. Can you see? Katagazome. And here's what it means to cause a state or condition, to bring something about, to produce something, or to create something. Can you see what the word means here? It's important to consider its meaning. This is a Greek lexicon, a Greek dictionary. And it means to bring something about or to produce. And here's, here's a paraphrase um, that I, I want to give you for that. Okay, To work out your salvation in layman's terms, because it's not that English, the worker is some salvation, it sounds something like this, or it's better put something like this, carry on bringing about your salvation. That's what Paul is saying here. This is what is laid up. Dear friends, you've been so good, but I need you to do this now. This is important at this juncture of your work. I want you to carry on, put more effort into bringing about your salvation. Now, when you hear that, you should be getting a little nervous. Why do I say that? You should be asking, hmm, where's this going? Well, why do I say that? Because what does it sound like? That we are doing. Yes, thank you, Pamela. It does, you, you should now be wondering, hey, where's this going? Okay? Uh, not Montez, because I haven't written these words. Okay? Where's Paul going? You know, you know how? What's his views on soteriology? I mean, you know, they, they seem a bit weird because look, it sounds weird because it's exactly what he's saying: carry on bringing about your salvation. Look, here's what we know about Paul, in case we begin to question him. Here's what he thinks of salvation: you will be Philippians one twenty-eight. You will be saved and okay. by God. Okay. Look what he writes to the Romans. To the man who does not work, so doesn't do it himself, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited to him as righteousness. And again, in Ephesians, just in case we're getting question marks about Paul, you know, we can conclude that he's kosher theologically because look at what he says in Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of yourself. You're not doing it. Um, okay? So, look, we can establish Paul believes totally, absolutely in the sovereignty of God in our salvation as the first cause of our salvation. So what's here going on what about in Philippians 2? Because the Greek is chosen to use does, does lend itself to that thought whereby there's weight on us doing something, as I paraphrase this, carry on bringing about your salvation. What do we do with this? Where do we place it? Look, here's here's one thing I want to say. The Bible is not averse to the responsibility we have as humans on, on the salvation journey. Yes, God is sovereign. We're going to come back to that shortly because Paul's going to hammer that home shortly. But what Paul wants us to know, and he says it elsewhere, he says it in Colossians, is that there is a human element in our salvation. And look, Colossians 1, 22, here's what he writes to the Church of Colossae. He um, goes, look, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And here's a condition. Listen to this. This is Paul. If you continue in your faith. Paul wants us to be clear. If you continue in your faith. It's important that we continue, continue in our faith. And Paul isn't just getting this for himself. He's got it from Jesus. Because here's what Jesus said back in his ministry, John 8. Here's what he says to the Jews. Even as he spoke, many and this is a scary verse. Listen to this. Even as Jesus spoke, many put their faith in him. Did you hear that? But well, watch what he says next. And this is Jesus. To the Jews who had believed in him. This is, this is really strong stuff. Jesus said what? If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. So the Bible, Jesus, the Apostle Paul, is not adverse to a human element. There is a human element. There is a response we make in our salvation. Jesus calls us and we respond. There is that, there is that. But in Philippians 2, in Philippians 2 it's, it's way beyond that. It's, it's much stronger Carry on bringing about your salvation. Let me just look at these words with awe. Uh, fear and trembling, rather. Um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. I know, and This is where language has evolved. I mean, all language evolves. And We don't use that term, and I don't use that term. And I don't think it's a healthy term for us to be talking about fearing God. Because it has all kinds of... Strange, negative, strong connotations, and um, I think here, look. So I've, I've paraphrased this too, and here's the whole sentence. I think it's up there. There it is. Carry on bringing about your salvation with awe and wonder of God. There is to be a healthy respect for God. As, as I say, fear is not an appropriate word. It has all kind of Ugly connotations to it. I think awe still retains something of what the apostle is meaning here. We are to have a respect for God. Okay, C.S. Lewis captures it brilliantly in his Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if you've seen it, watched it, you may have read it. You know, when Aslam is there, and I think. I think it's in Aslam who speaks and, and he goes, or someone, someone's narrating and, and he says these to the children when they meet Aslam, Aslam loves children. Do you know that line? And how does he go? Aslam loves children, but he's not, a, I think if I remember right, but he's not a tame lion. Lewis got it right. Can you see what, what Lewis is trying to get across to us? Yes, we're to relate to him as our father. But always remember He is your God too. Can you see? And the two have to work together. And Paul is using that here. He said in in Carry On Bringing About Your Salvation and we're going to see what that is in a minute, he he wants to add don't leave your respect for God at the door. We're not to become over familiar. Remember what kind of relationship Jesus had with his disciples? I mean John lay on his on his chest you know Peter and James had an incredibly close relationship to him relationship to him but what did the what did the disciples know about their relationship to Jesus what were they sometimes anxious about asking why were they sometimes anxious about asking him questions because they knew him to be the master the teacher there were times when they were apprehensive you know in Jesus Kept that relationship. And I think it's important for us to remember in our relationship with God, as friendly as he is, as father as he is, he's still someone to be awed. Remember what Jesus says? He has the ability, and you know, to completely sideline us. So, so this all is important here. So here's, here's what I, where I think this is going. And look, there's there's discrepancy amongst theologians and it's not easy to get to the bottom of. Here's where I've got to. And I want to draw two theologians that I have respect for, Gordon Fee and and G. Hansen. And both of them, here's what they're adding. And here's what's been said. The first thing we need to remember when we're trying to work out what Paul means when he emphasises the human element in our salvation and overemphasises it seamlessly when he tells us to carry on producing your salvation, powerful words, is that, He's talking about church unity, remember. That's why I said that at the beginning. He's talking about a church functioning together. Remember, that is the theme. And under that, here's what Hansen says. Okay, it's to be understood in a corporate sense. Work out here is to be understood In a corporate sense. The entire church which had grown spiritually ill, remember there's there's factions, there's disunity, there's arguments in this church, okay? There's people not getting on together. So he goes, the entire church which had grown spiritually ill is charged now with taking whatever steps are necessary to restore itself to health, integrity, and wholeness. So this Striving for salvation is a corporate thing; is saying to a body, not to individuals. And here's what Gordon Fee adds: In your relationships with one another, live out the salvation Christ has brought you, or brought you rather. This is therefore not a text dealing with individual salvation, says Fee, but an ethical text dealing with the outworking of salvation in the believing community. You see what he's saying here. He's telling this church. He's not telling them to produce their own salvation like they can do it themselves, but rather he's saying to them that their harmonious relationships, their social harmony, their loving church unity, their serving one another in the manner of Jesus, dying for each other, is something that contributes to that body as a whole working towards Jesus, working towards their salvation what he's saying is and, and, and I guess we struggle with this in the west more than those of us from here who are from the east is that salvation has to be seen more as corporate than individual let me ask you one question, who did Jesus die for? Mm. thank you I'm glad you didn't say me <laughs> yeah. seriously spot only it's important to remember, he died for the church. How many prizes does Jesus have? The church. He died for the church. And yes, I'm, I'm sure, look, look, I don't want to underplay that Jesus would have been able to focus on you on that cross. And no doubt he did. But we have to see theologically, he died for one entity, the church. Salvation has a... Corporate entity to it. The New Testament letters often we we read you uh, Paul writes to you. I, I exhort you, and we often imagine this speaking to us in a singular sense. That's a corporate word in the Greek. He's always talking to the body, and here too, Paul is talking to this body. It's a look, look, cricket. Who's into cricket here? Well, I don't know much about cricket, but Greg introduced us to the Big Bash cricket last year. We watched a couple of matches. We may watch a couple this year. I think it starts on the 8th of December. Here's one thing I know about cricket. It's a team game. That much I do know. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And the team works together to get themselves together across the line. And Paul here, by this emphasis on human effort, is saying to this body, look, You're a team. You're going to heaven on a raft when you're all on it. And if you're fighting and putting yourselves before one another and stepping on one another, you're going to sink this ship. You've got to work at it together. You've got to shoulder in. and Here's Jesus. He's the example. Die in working and serving and encouraging together. The point being, I know we often think of salvation purely eschatologically. Meaning, when we think of salvation, what are we thinking? When you got saved, Lee, you got saved. So what's your thought? This now means for me, for you, heaven. Is, 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 that's, just say heaven, would you? Yeah, heaven. There you go. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, we all we think of salvation eschatologically, don't we? It's about getting to heaven. It's in your heart all the time. That's a really good answer. Thank you. It's, that's the point? <laughs> that's the point. Is that Paul wants us to not just have the eschatological focus of salvation, but to think of it as something as important now, we are being saved. This journey is a part of that process and in that process Paul is emphasising for out of all for God is don't sink the ship because we're all in it together. let all work at this together. We all work sacrificially for one another. No one is left behind. It's why pastorally, what does Paul, what does Jesus say pastorally to pastors when one sheep of his flock wanders? What is he to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he used to leave the 99 and look for one because this thing works together. That one stray sheep has an impact on the rest of this flock. And here's one thing I'll say to the regular members of our church. Hey, it matters that you come each week and it matters that you don't just wander off somewhere else because you're a part of this group. We need you. And you need us. Salvation rarely can be worked at individually. Okay, you may be thrown in prison and God will give you special grace. But the normal common grace of our salvation is is that we do it together. And it's in that sense then we're to work out our salvation. We're to carry on bringing about our salvation. And we're to do it in awe of God. That's the first point, how am I doing for time? Okay, got what, well, 45 minutes to do my second point. So sit in there, Sid, okay? I could do it with a drink. OK, could you just get me a drink, please? Thanks, uh, I'd appreciate that. Uh, so look, so Paul emphasises the human element, but Paul would never leave you there, okay? And so now he brings us the contrast okay and and you always have to put them together he brings us the contrast having emphasized this human element which is corporate he now emphasizes the divine and this is an incredible incredible verse really you could spend forever on it for it is god who works in you to will and to act thanks peter that's lovely mate bless you For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So we've used the term soteriology a few times the last couple of weeks. It just means salvation. So in that sense, salvation here in verse 13 is simply this. But I'm going to paraphrase what verse 13 is saying to us and then I'll break it down for us by God's grace. Salvation is, is not because of our initiative. Salvation is not because of our own strength. Salvation is not for our own goals. Salvation is because of God's will, God's strength, and God's purpose. All the emphasis of verse 12 aside, here is the heart of the matter. Our salvation begins with God, has God in the middle, and has God at the end. Which means, without God, there would be no salvation. Here's why. Okay, let me bring in Ephesians, another one of Paul's letters. Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5. Listen to this. This is where salvation begins. For he, God that is, chose us in him, in Christ Jesus, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his will and pleasure. Let me, let, let's get this straight, friends. Ever before you were born, God had already had you as the object of his affection. He had chosen you, he had predestined you according to his will to be his. Why am I in faith? Hey, you know, I was born, you know, I was born in Bangladesh. There's about 120, 130 million people there. Most of whom do not have faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know what it is about why I believe? Do you know why me, out of other members of my family? Thank you. Because God chose me and predestined me and call me because it was his purpose and he did all that ever before i was a twinkle in the eye of my father ever before that ever before I had any ability any strength any will to do anything god did his way here's what a commentator writes god himself produces in believers both the desire to live righteously And the energy to do so. For it is God who works in you. The first thing we have to establish by our faith is that I have not come to a place of faith because there was something in me that initiated that. But rather because something outside of me initiated it. Look, Notice here. In that verse, it is God who works in you. Works here. I'm going to give you another Greek word here. It's one that will have it. We get it. It's one from which we get an English word which you will recognize. The Greek word is energeo. Okay, energeo sounds a bit like it ought to. Energy. It's where we get the word energy. You've all seen or heard of the dutiful bunny, haven't you? You know the dual cell bunny? What keeps that bunny going? Is the, is the batteries. Is what keeps the bunny going. What verse 13 is saying is that, is that, is that Sid, you're a bunny. Okay? In case you didn't know it, you're a bunny. What's keeping you going are dual cell batteries, energy. And here's the key thing God has put those batteries. In you. I mean it, it goes without saying, you know, where does the power, where does a body have power to to function in and of itself? It needs the batteries. And but Paul's point is here is, is that is that the power which you exerted in your salvation is the power that Jesus gave. It's a bit like this. You know, when Jesus says to the cripple, it, um, one the one who's sitting by the pool of uh, Bethesda, okay? and sitting there. He hasn't moved for years. He can't get in the water because somebody beats him to it. Jesus tells him to walk, to carry his mat. Does that man... Okay, when Jesus spoke to a cripple, when he said, and I'll, I'll do another one, when Jesus spoke to the blind man who was born blind, probably didn't even have the faculties of sight, and when he commands him to see, did that man have the power to see? No. But in Jesus' word, he energised him to be able to see. Here's the thing about salvation. It's God who energised you to walk towards him. It's God who who gave you the skill set to walk towards him. Paul wants you to know in salvation that the very first cause, the first reason that you made any movement towards God is because God put the batteries in. Enabled you to function. He switched you on. Ephesians tells us you were dead. He switched you on. He made you alert and he energized you to walk towards him. The second thing he tells us it, it, it is God who works in you to will and to act. I know hey, because we're fallen creatures, there's, there's elements of our fallen nature still rife within us. Okay. And the will is one example. And, and we imagine, don't we? You know, it was my will that I followed Jesus. And if you ever try and tell somebody, no, it was God, you, you get responses like, well, uh, you know, it's my will. How dare God? What about my free choice? I have a right to choose God. In fact, I did choose God, it was my will. But I want you to, but it's not, it's not what Paul says here. The chief of theologians. This is what he says. For it is God who works in you to will and to act. He's talking about your will and my will conforming to God's will. So how does he do that? And and here's here's, something what scripture teaches as a whole. We're not to think of God as as mastering our will by force. Look, how do you tame an animal? You've got two ways of taming an animal. You could force it. You could capture it by force. You could use food as a means of force. In fact, in some places it's been done, you could use brutality to tame a creature such as a lion. Or you could win its affection. You could treat it well. You could get it to trust in you. And you could ultimately win over its will. And what we're to understand here, friends, is that your salvation came at the will of God, bringing your will into alignment with him, but it wasn't done by kicking and kicking and screaming. He, who here has been dragged into believing in Jesus? No, no, no. You believe in Jesus because he's won you over. You've given your will over to him. You did. You know, in the day you got converted, you said something like this, Lord Jesus... I surrender my will to you. You didn't say something like that? But you intended to mean something like that. Amen. And do you notice, Jesus doesn't take it by force, but he wins our will. So Paul wants you to know, God initiated salvation, he won over our will, and then finally, he did all this according to, I need to finish, I'll be really quick here, according to his good purposes. Here's why God has saved us. is because he has a good plan. A very good plan. Well, here's what Hanson writes. God originally initiated, presently sustains, and ultimately will complete all their work by his indwelling power. God has a good reason for saving you. Maybe this church is a good reason that God has saved you. He has a good Purpose for your life. It's working to his ultimate. End. And ultimately, remember when God made the world, he said he was good? Ultimately, God's good purposes for you and for me is to live on a good planet, a recreated Eden, forever with him. So here's Paul's point. Here's Paul's point. I'm going to sum up here. He wants us to continue to work at our salvation. He wants us to... Carry on producing salvation corporately. Serving and encouraging and exhorting one another to faith. We're to do it with due respect for God. Remember in the book of Hebrews, we quoted this earlier, but in Hebrews 6, it talks about shunning and rejecting the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a serious thing to do. So we're to do it with awe, we're to remember all along, even in corporate uh, faithfulness to Jesus, that it's God all the way through. God in your calling, God in your winning over your will, and God in good purposes for you. And again, in the good purpose, and I'll just finish with the good purpose, uh, again, we're not to just think of it eschatologically. I know we have a tendency to do that. You know the old war saying? Uh, I'm assuming it was here in Australia too. You know, it's it'll be jammed tomorrow. Do you? Did, does anyone know that phrase? Jam tomorrow. You, you know, it, it means you, know, you used to say it in the war because there was never any jam around. You're gonna have jam tomorrow, but tomorrow never came. It's how you deferred, you know, your kids. And you know, it's a saying when you say jam tomorrow, meaning it's all about blessings tomorrow. And often we treat salvation, you know, just eschatologically. You know, we're going to get to heaven. We've just got to persevere now. You know, it's going to be hard. It's going to be awful. It's not going to be wonderful. But we've just got to get to the end. And I think Paul here and Jesus wants to think of salvation not just merely eschatologically. God has good for you on the journey as well as at the end. It's not an unspiritual thing. To seek of God good things on the journey. And ultimately at the end. And God has got good things for you. For us. Remember, go back to the corporate nature here. God has got good things for us. Praise his name.